Hello, Christ Central. It's been a little while. If you would turn to the Gospel of Mark with me, chapter 8, verses 22 to 25, and then Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. That's our scripture reading for today. Mark chapter 8, starting at verse 22. And they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, Do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And we're going over to the book of Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. This is God's word so far. Thanks be to God. The kingdom business of Jesus Christ is saving and changing lives. That's the business of Jesus. And that's why CCSE exists. Uh, Strangely strangely enough, uh, I've come to believe that change happens more to other people than actually to me. You know, pastors do get a front row seat to life change. We, we celebrate it. We almost live for it to see lives saved and changed. We get a front row seat to that. But we can often get so busy and burdened and even blind to my own need for change or even the change that is happening in me. There was a comedian on Saturday Night Live who said that making 12 new friends around the age of 30 might have been the greatest miracle that Jesus ever performed. Now, the point being, the older you get, it's really hard to make new friends. Point being, the older you get, it's harder to change, harder to change. Uh, but Apostle Paul comes back in Philippians 1, 6, does he not? He says, I'm sure of this. Change is inevitable to anyone who's in Jesus Christ. His good work in you will not fail. It will be made complete. So just here's a couple things of how I sense God is changing mine. Please give me some liberty here. This is more of my story than a sermon today. But just two areas that I can articulate about how I sense God is changing my life these days. First, he takes time. Sometimes he takes a lot of time from our perspective. God changes lives. He finishes his good work in you and me. How? By using time. We are bound by time. God is not. And God has mind-boggling, complete mastery over all of time, more than Christopher Nolan movies. I watched one. Gave me a headache. I had to go read explanations because I did not understand it. But God knows time better than he. Because you're looking at a person that doesn't like long lines. I don't like unnecessary long anything. Meetings or for my coffee (laughs) or customer service calls. Wow, in COVID season, when you try to dial that number to complain or get a refund, good night, good night. I joked with Sonny, man, God, of course, is trying to just teach me about time, time. 
But you know, I'm the type of person that likes to get things done effectively and efficiently so I can get on to the next thing that I really want to do. But what if, what if God is using that time of waiting, even sometimes in my complaining, how unjust this seems to be, caught in traffic. What if God is doing something he wants to do with time? John Mark Comer is a book that I read early on in my sabbatical, a book entitled The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And here's what observation that struck me, one observation. We hear the refrain, I'm great, just busy. So often we assume pathological busyness is okay. After all, everybody, everybody else is busy too. But what if busyness isn't healthy? What if it's an airborne contagion wreaking havoc on our collective soul? Hurry is a form of violence to the soul. Three months ago, a sabbatical began, which I've been afforded, and I am so grateful to this church, to you, and to God. I shared about an accumulation of wear and tear, of a deep fatigue. I think I could explain a little more and share with you now at this point energies, motivations, even my very calling to be a pastor was being sapped. I don't think I've ever felt that before, and it's downright unsettling. That first month I took, I was blanketed by uh, feelings of disappointment in myself, guilt, depression, um, grief, you know, because I'd lost... uh, being in contact with you or being on the job with the church I love. And I think it took about a month and a half, which I shared with the session and staff, at least just to begin to exhale. Uh, begin to like slow down the RPMs. Begin to unwind. <laughs> uh, in other words, I had to take time or God took time for me to lay down my messianic complex for CCSC. Look, my head told me it is time for you to rest. My head told me your body has signaled to you it is time for you to rest. It's okay, it's okay. But my heart, my heart, it would only take time for my heart to catch up and feel like it's really okay. Been meeting with a uh, counselor in really high demand, so thankful for the referral and churches, your prayers and provision. This is a God send. I've met with counselors before. They're all hit or miss. But man, I think this one is a hit. And counselors are in higher demand than ever before in this climate. Oh, please believe me. Every pastor or leader I know is suffering, very tense, as many of you are in this season. And upon the, uh, the close of the first session, I did ask Kevin uh, you know, how did I make it? How did I get in? Because I know he's so busy. And he said, well, Harold, it's because I heard your voicemail. I guess he heard my, my pity-inducing voice. And he said, God put me on his heart, that he has a heart for pastors. Do you know that when I first began to meet with Kevin, I expected or assumed three to four sessions at best. That should do it, in and out. 
I've met with him nine times since. I've looked forward, haven't missed one. Because I actually feel cared for by God himself as we take time. So with more deliberate, slow down time, I've come to be more aware of my unhealthy relationship with time because I have a little mantra that's been working in overdrive or overtime in my life. It goes like this. I definitely never want to waste your time and I don't want to waste mine. I don't want to at least purposefully, unnecessarily waste your time or waste mine. Not when I'm at work, not when I'm studying, even when I'm on vacations or having fun or at play, I am the type who wants to maximize, get the most out of it in that time. I mean, this right here, speaking to you, sharing with you, or preaching God's word is a prime example. Do you know what my worst fear or nightmare is? Is that if hundreds of people all dragged themselves out of bed, made sure that their kids could make it, and then you, of course, it's okay. You usually show up late. Even while it's virtual online, you're still showing up late, but it's okay, we can't see you. But I find it horrifying to me that if you came and heard someone talk, you leave feeling, what a total waste of time. That's from the books that I've read, the culture that I've inhaled, and the heroes I looked up to. It is just ingrained in me that I don't think I could handle if even in preaching, all the people who came thought it was a complete total waste of time. Now, some of you might be saying at this point, Pastor, wow, don't you see me though? When we used to meet in person, I used to fall asleep every time you preached. And I would tell you, yes, I do see you, but it's okay. Because I do a quick scan and I just want raw majority attentiveness. I'm not dictatorial. I'm very democratic. Now, I just want majority attentiveness. It's all good. And folks, right now, I mean, you could be on your couch sleeping and I can't see you. So we're all good. But how does God change lives? How is he changing mine? And someone as slow and stubborn as me? Oh, he takes time. Here's the second area, second way in which I sense God is changing me. Blind spots. He is helping to see I guess a few surface level blind spots. My vision keeps getting worse. You know, I got a bigger font Bible. Recently I got a bigger iPad. Got to take off my glasses to see it. And some of you might assume, oh, you know, the older you get, of course you become wiser. You become more self-aware. No, that's not true. You could become worse the older you get. Not if you don't take time and not if God does not reveal things to you. You know, it's by God's revelation. Christianity is a revelatory thing, not a religion. And you know how God reveals things to you so often? Of course, through his word and by his spirit, but also through caring people. I'm sure a lot of caring people have told you, told you certain things, but you just don't want to see what they see. Crises or consequences, fallout is some ways that God reveals to, to you and me. But back to Mark chapter 8, verse 24, a blind man is brought to Jesus, begged him to touch him. Jesus took him by the hand, and he asked him this question, do you see anything? Verse 24, 
he looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Yeah, I used to see nothing, but now I see something, but it's blurry. Jesus, thank you. I see better than what I used to be able to see, but now it's still blurry, not in sharp focus. He was honest. He was honest. You know, you and I have to admit where you're at, what you see, what you cannot see. Do you know the tragedy of so many people like me who actually don't see really where you are right now, what you cannot see? But this blind man comes to Jesus and responds and says, I really can't see as well as I should. I really can't see as well as I would like to. And so Jesus touched him again. Jesus is the least hurried, frenetic, frantic, anxious, busy person you could ever meet. Jesus turns and touches him again and again. And he'll touch you and me again and again and again so that we can see more clearly and heal more fully. Uh, Back to my little mantra of life. I don't want to waste your time. I certainly don't want to waste mine. And that's on overdrive often. I've been blind to its effects and I've been blind to its roots. Some of its effects. Uh, You know, in Genesis chapter four, when God says to an angry, jealous Cain, sin is crouching at your door. So here's how God sees sin. Do you know how God sees your sin? He says it crouches, meaning it always hides. It's deceitful. It always goes undercover. It goes, wants to go unseen. This is why so often you're looking at a pastor who excuses and minimizes his sins. Oh, he, he, look, the only reason I'm irritable and frustrated and impatient right now, and I could lash out in harshness or anger sometimes, because I'm the type of person that likes to get things done well and on time, and you don't. Sin crouches. In our political climate today, oh, not much has been happening this week, right? I'm recording this on a Thursday. I'm not even sure if the election still is official or not. But you're so outraged by the other side because that other side is so unjust, so possibly racist or corrupt or dumb. How can you vote for so-and-so while you see nothing wrong or hypocritical on my side? You know, did you know that love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, which are the fruit of the Spirit, which is Christ-likeness, which is the pinnacle, which is the goal of Christian life, which is what every church exists for. This is the mountaintop that you and I will become people inside and out more like Christ. Do you know that all the fruit of the Spirit is incompatible as long as you're blind to yourself? And do you know why I've been so blind to myself in so many different ways? Because I've been living in a hurry. I don't want to take time. I don't want to take time. And of course, I don't want to listen 
to God telling me and revealing it in so many different ways. Blind to its harmful effects. Oh, I've also been blind to its roots. My roots. As some of you may well know by now, my dad died abruptly during college with an unfulfilled dream to carry out missions work through his international business. The Monday morning after his, his funeral, I went back to work for Shearson Lehman. This is midway through college. I took a semester off. Monday morning. I don't like time to even grieve. And I vowed months later, when I sensed God calling me into pastoral ministry, I made this vow. God, I will live a fruitful, productive, impactful, worthwhile life for you by spreading the gospel. Why? Because my dad didn't get to do it. I want to honor his memory. I want to somehow live out his legacy. Because my dad died so early, hopefully I can live a life maybe double the amount. Now, to make something of my life is, uh, uh, that's, my, that's my nature. And also, that's been my nurture. Uh, it's my natural personality, along with parenting, with every other immigrant parent who reinforced you with American dreams all along the way. I mean, achievement and covering up and overcompensating with achievement and success. And you can even use ministry to do that. It's like, America is like, I mean... That's an alcoholic living right below a bar. And then you add that with loss, ungrieved, ungrieved grief, and a supposed sacred calling from God to live a life that's productive and fruitful and worthwhile for the kingdom. What I've come to see, though, is down at the roots of even my own calling into pastoral ministry to spread the gospel is how much fear and inadequacy lies down there. How afraid and how inadequate I must feel that I would have to make a vow like that to God. And yet... Ironically, I don't think it's from God. It's a good thing to make most of your time. It's a good thing to make the best use of your time. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 16 says that. For all of you workaholics, type A's out there, good. You can use that verse all the time like I did to justify yourself. But, of course, you neglect the longest and most repeated commandment, which is the fourth one. Keep the Sabbath. Keep the Sabbath. Like, stop working, rest, worship God, because that is only way that your humanity and your life will continue to thrive and be healthy and actually be a glory to God. Anyhow, it's good to make most of your time, but here's what I suffer with, I struggle with. Good to make most of your time, for me, it's a must. But not all the time, but most of the time. It's a must. And I have many, many musts. And at its roots, though, because of a fear and inadequacy. I was hit by my counselor who quoted something from Carl Jung. 
I certainly don't endorse all his theology, but I went home to look him up, and here's what I found on Carl Jung on this quote. Neurosis is the avoidance of legitimate suffering. So to avoid the pain, we develop neurotic coping mechanisms. We self-medicate, we blame, we distract ourselves, we avoid, we pretend. Life is going to hurt at times, and if you try to avoid the hurt, you will often bring more hurt than the actual hurt. As long as I try to avoid the hurt, I invite and bring in more hurt than the actual hurt. My very calling to be a pastor and your pastor at CCSC was born with big dosages of fear and inadequacy because dad died too early. Whereas there is love and security and sufficiency and gratitude overflowing because Jesus died too early for me. Could it be that you're looking at a person who's been trying to honor the memory of his earthly father who's so proud of him and wants to live out his legacy more than honoring and pleasing his father who is in heaven? When I do, and I have done that many times, the results are telling. The Bible would say the fruit is telling. Exhaustion, vanity, regrets, a pendulum of pride to despair, emptiness. Because a life of self-righteousness will never do any better. You know, if you're a child of the 80s, one of our great pieces of righteousness is you got to make your life meaningful, worth it. There's got to be purpose. I think that's what I've been doing. More in the memory of my earthly dad than my father in heaven who gave up his own son. Last, I'll just mention this. I've been blind to the heart of my own mom. I've been blind to my own mom. Growing up, sweetest, doting mother ever. Most beautiful person. After her husband died, it seemed to me it morphed into constant negativity, neediness, control, criticism. She has me on a pedestal of what type of pastor I should be, but I felt like I could never measure up to that. It came to a point which I would have never imagined. We didn't speak for a whole year. It was heartbreaking for a whole year. We weren't even in contact. One day recently, because I've been afforded this time and space, my sister texts me while I'm walking around a park here in Cerritos, and here's what she wrote. Harold, you do know that mom acts the way she does, controlling, too critical sometimes, because she idolizes you and, to, and to her, you resemble dad in so many, so many ways. And mom is just so afraid you're going to end up the same way he did. I've never even considered or seen that that was a remote possibility. It only took 28 years 
Thank God he takes time and uses time. It only took 28 years to begin to see that my mom's human heart and in the way she had responded to the death of her husband at the age of 44 was also filled with so much fear of loss and grief in her own way. So recently we met up for lunch where I went and just apologized from the heart. My mom apologized, which I told her there was no need for her to apologize. And although it's taken a lot of time, I'm so happy to tell you, I feel like our relationship has been born again. Is everything better now? No, of course not. No, it takes time. But I feel like we've restarted everything all over again. Any reactionary, hurtful, stubborn feelings, I feel like God has just completely lifted away. And what I get to do now, with the time we have left, is just begin to see and appreciate more of the beauty, the absolute beauty of my mom and my sister as well. As I come to a close here, my wife, Sunny, during the sabbatical, my greatest human confidant, partner, burden bearer, uh, gone through so many battles um, that I probably could not count. I think she would add this one plea, though. Well, this is all good for Harold, but I think it's taking too much time. See, sissy, please take him back. Take him back now. Take him back now. I can't handle him by myself. Now, thank you for listening so far. This is my story. Just some things that I'm sensing and beginning to see. And I know so much has been happening in your life, my life, and of course in our world. And I'd just like to ask you for one more thing, your continued prayers and your continued understanding. See, because about a month ago, sensing how necessary and precious and healing this time has been, I asked our session for a little more time. A younger Harold would have never asked for more time. I cannot recall I've asked for any extension on any significant deadline in my life. But I think and sense this is a God-given time and I ask for your continued understanding and prayers. And the session prayerfully considered this and they've granted a modified extension which means, you know, I'm speaking and sharing with you for example here. It's not a complete break but I get to the end of the year as a modified extension and this is our session's heart. And their commitment that you and I and all of our leaders and our church would be healthy. And that we really would be following after Jesus. We'd follow after Jesus more than any other master or this world. So CCSC family, I do miss you. Please take your time because God takes time with you. 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 and 9 reads this. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. God takes time. 
Oh, how he takes time so tenderly, so patiently, so wisely, so compassionately with you and me. But he will not take forever. He takes time with you so that we would all come to repentance and bend the knee to Jesus Christ. But also not only should you take your time because God takes time. Don't be too afraid. Don't be too afraid. No longer be so afraid. Look down into your deepest, darkest secrets. Look into your pain, whatever pains you most. Look into your recurring nightmares. Look into your neurosis. Look into all that anxiety. Look into all that control. Look into all that fury. Look into the addictions. And see what you can find there, down to the roots. And here's why you don't have to be afraid. Because whatever you see and find there, Jesus has already seen. And yet he loved you to death. My friend, do you know that the absolute overwhelming love of Jesus is far greater than anything you can see or what Jesus has already seen? Without his love, you won't want to see. You cannot bear to see the sin. But covered by the love of Jesus and what he's done for you and for me, your eyes and mine will well up with tears of wonder and worship and eternal praise and glory. Amazing grace that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. All grace, amazing grace, amazing grace. Let him touch you. Let him touch you. So you can, be, you can see and be set free. So that you and I can see and be healed. So we can see and finally lay our heads down to rest. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, I thank you for my brothers and sisters of Christ Central and all those who are listening in. I pray that by the touch and the ministry of the Holy Spirit, you would take this story, but most of all, the gospel story of Jesus, what he's done for us on our, on our behalf and make us whole again. Oh, Lord, I pray you would make us whole again. Pour out your amazing grace upon grace. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.